0: Hello and welcome to loose Spokes. I am Randall
1: and I'm Roger.
0: And uh, the season's on hold. So we don't have a, a race to talk about, but we're gonna we're gonna soldier on anyway because you know dirt biking was here before Supercross and it'll be here well after. There's so much else to it. There's GNCC and there's trail riding and there's uh, just working on your bikes. And there's esports apparently, so we're gonna we're gonna keep talking anyway. Uh, so to kind of get it out of the way, um, the season is on hold, but Supercross has stated specifically that it's not over, and they plan to ra- run rounds 11 through 17 uh, later this year. What, what do you what do you think? Do you think they can get all of those in and uh, with
1: outdoors? It's going to be tight. <clears throat> it looks like the outdoors is just one race shy. <clears throat> they they've completely canceled uh, Hangtown, but it looks like the rest of those are going to go off. Uh, if I ha- I'm only guessing at this point, but if things improve soon enough, they'll try to get a couple supercrosses in before the outdoors start, but and then finish it after the outdoors are done. But there definitely isn't going to be very much of an off-season this year with professional motocross and supercross. Those guys, are. this is their off-season, it's looking like, because they'll probably be done with supercross and motocross probably in November.
0: So my thought, wouldn't it be easier... If they said, you know what, Supercross is done for the season, we will start after the end of outdoors and, you know, I'll let outdoors go through August and then starting in mid September, start up Supercross and run it in September and October, maybe a couple of weeks into November so that they don't have to keep switching disciplines. Tell them right now, Hey, go ahead, get ready for outdoors, you know, get on your outdoor bikes, do that, which they're already doing. But, you know, let Eli and Roxen know that they can switch bikes and say, and then after outdoors, we're going into Supercross. Um, and let them, let them kind of know that that's what they're going to do. And then they can race the 2020 Supercross season, have Christmas break off, and then still be practicing Supercross. They'll be on their game Come a
1: one, you know that that isn't that is an upside to it, isn't isn't it? Um, they'd be on the upside. Well, you know, I guess it's really is a pretty easy decision. Just something popped in mind. <clears throat> what does Brayton do?
0: Well, I mean, it all depends on when things start back up. You know, he's when does when does their season start down there you know what are what are his options i would
1: say it's late august that the or early september that the supercross season in australia starts being champion and he's you know not in a position to be the champion here in the united states probably he needs to go down there and defend this championship but just a thought came to mind you know if they if we have a fall Supercross season, that's when Australia is going on, and there's a few guys that go down there and do that.
0: And I mean, you got to consider um, his name is is leaving me the, uh, the he's riding two fifties. Uh, the Australian who was challenging Justin Brayton uh, last year and moved up here and decided he was going to stay for the Supercross season and not defend his outdoor championship. He yeah. has the opportunity to still change his mind and go down there and do that.
1: He's running a one hundred and one this year. Yeah, <clears throat> but I can't do his name either.
0: Um, he he put forth some really impressive rides, but he had basically given up on that championship. But now he kind of has an opportunity uh, to kind of get around that.
1: Yeah. Well, here is an outdoor schedule for 2020 an updated one they're starting in florida on june 13th
0: at the WW ranch
1: yeah yeah mm-hmm. high point southwick redbud everything there's a, i think most of these have normal dates
0: yeah, yeah like the fourth of july redbud date is is normal
1: yeah uh and i i think the even iron man is normal but september 5th at fox raceway i think is what they I'm thinking they added that to that. I don't think that was original. That's their finish. They're finishing September 5th. Really, to finish Supercross, how many have we? How many are? We, if we miss the rest of them, we're going to miss nine, right? Weren't they halfway through at Daytona?
0: Yeah, there were nine, but they're saying they're doing uh, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. So they said they're going to do seven more. Because the two that are canceled are just straight up canceled, but they want to reschedule the other seven, so they've already given up two dates total.
1: Really, September and October would get it done. So you almost are to November, but long- yeah, and
0: if they have a break in there at all, um, then they would have to, you know, go into November. But that gives them the opportunity to still give uh, everyone six weeks or so of kind of a short off season. To still rest and relax and, and mm-hmm. uh, do all that stuff. Uh, but yeah, they, they could go into A1 super cross ready. They just came off of last season. Uh, but you can only celebrate your championship for six weeks.
1: <laughs> yeah, not very long. Huh.
0: But, it, I mean, we're, it's it's going to be a wait and see thing. You know, no one, no one can predict the future. All we can go on is, is what they've said most recently. Um, but there's still lots of racing you can watch. You know, I, uh, have the NBC gold app, which they are trying to make good on, um, the racing not being there. So they're kind of reminding people that there's a lot of, uh, past racing that you can go back and watch. Uh, and I've been trying to do that. Watch old races that I that I missed and had to just read up on. And um, I know Racer X went back and watched uh, Stewart's last outdoor win, uh, and they they cool. crashed the internet doing that.
1: Yeah, that was with uh, with his battle in the end with Trey right?
0: Exactly, and that was that was a, a pretty a pretty good uh, pretty good moto to watch. Uh, and now they're. They're promoting a uh, an esports race. For those who don't know, that's it's electronic sports. It's video games done on a competitive level uh, and aired for people to watch. I mean, in South Korea, esports are bigger than uh, American football is here. So, um, following kind of in the footsteps that NASCAR paved last weekend, with nine hundred thousand people watching. Um, an e-sport of NASCAR race.
1: Nine hundred thousand people watch that.
0: It's the only live sporting event to go on in the net in the last two weeks. So yeah, they got a lot of views.
1: I guess that that, that makes sense because Americans are pretty uh, hungry for that stuff.
0: Exactly. You know, any port in the storm. Um, and and people watched it. There were you know there were some issues, but it's the first time they've done it. I, I think it was wonderful, and so they're they're doing a a race on a Seattle replica track. Um, Actually, as we record, they are, they are doing it now. Um, But I think that's, I appreciate people trying to fill the void uh, because there's a a lot of, a lot of people that are wanting to watch some live sports. And if we can do something, cause even uh, Roman Feber has stopped practicing Um, and he said on Instagram that he, you know, he didn't feel it was responsible to keep his mechanics and stuff and everyone around and the possibility of him getting hurt Mm -hmm. and then having to put additional strain on their medical system. You know, he didn't think that was a good idea. So, you know, it's gotten to the point that people are not even practicing or, you know, riding on the trails because of the effect, the profound effect that it's having on, uh, you know, hospitals in general. So wow. um, with this kind of being where it is, finding a responsible way to keep uh, the sport kind of going, uh, I think this is going to have ripples for for years.
1: Yeah. What the, uh, you know, things I've been reading this week about, I read about uh, Cincerello and Roxanne. <clears throat> so they're still riding. They're just not, they're actually having fun. And, but they're not timing their laps. In other words, they're you know, not... Stay in shape.
0: Just staying loose.
1: sharp, but not, like like Roman says, don't want to be dangerous to where you might go to the hospital.
0: Like I uh, tell my, my five-year-old, I tell him, just go out and get seat time. Just get out yes. on the bike. Yep. Even if you're not, you know, hitting jumps or going around turns, just going up and down a, a, a pathway is still something it's you know you're keeping your balance on point you're checking your your body position you know and that's it's the world to to get some type of uh some type of experience day after day so even if they're not out there really you know getting after it maybe they've knocked down the whoops maybe they don't have whoops right now you know just to keep safe yeah, but
1: probably not as gnarly it probably tracks are probably knocked down a little bit just you know danger factor
0: yeah exactly um but now would be a great time to you know go out on on some trails and i mean until about eight years ago i hadn't been on the track anyway so it's no huge loss to me um for the tracks to be shut down uh, unfortunately, uh, some of the trails around me are also shut down, but up in Oregon where you're at, I'm sure most of the public lands are probably still open to ride.
1: Oh yeah. You can still ride here and just not, not with groups larger than 10, which, you know, most of the time you go and it's two to six, you know, maybe eight.
0: Yeah, rarely like that's that's an event that you have to kinda oh, this is our Mother's Day ride, this is our Thanksgiving ride, this yeah. is a specific event.
1: Yeah. Yep. You know, I was thinking back, you're talking about seat time. I remember, well, back when I was a kid, what was I was seventeen years old, at a my seventy eight CR two fifty. I had a field next door, wasn't even our property, and I had a track that just went back and forth. I had a U turn at each end. And uh, kind of a jump in the middle. And there were days that I would burn two tanks of gas just going back and forth on that. It might sound boring, but it was fun. That was the seat time that is so good to have.
0: Yeah, I'm rarely bored when I'm on my motorcycle. Even, you know, I I stated last episode, just following my five-year-old around on the kid's track was... I, I want to go back and do that again. Cause you know, just getting on the bike and clicking gears, even if it's just the first couple of them yep. and, you know, taking some obstacles slow is a skill that I don't get to perfect very often because it's always, you know, using that momentum to keep you stable. If you have to go slow and you can't go up on the berm, you know, you have to go down into the, you know, mm-hmm. the less groomed parts that can be tricky on its own. So it's, helping you do something that you're not used to doing taking in you know an, a not ideal line under unideal circumstances so yeah just seat time just anything can be beneficial and even if it's just down and back two tanks of gas is a huge amount of experience
1: yeah yes and it's just it's a smile on your face the whole way
0: yeah it's not a bad way to burn it burn an afternoon
1: nope nope, nope. I, I miss those days i do Hmm.
0: you may have to go uh onto your your backfield track and just do a little bit a little, little bit of riding there try and burn two tanks doing that
1: yeah if the, as soon as the mud's gone <clears throat>
0: well yeah it's still snowing up in oregon
1: yeah the snow did melt off today but uh you know it's going to be saturated but next time we have a little dry spell i definitely need to go out there and just lap after lap and just have a good time
0: Yeah, eventually it can, you know, with the same corners, you can let it kind of become automatic and you can start focusing on, you know, different aspects of it. And you can kind of cut a wide line and then an inside line and make, like I said, a non-optimal path and force yourself to take the non-optimal path sometimes Mm -hmm. just so that when you're pushed into that situation in a race, um, which is something I should have done more, uh on my 125 was learn to ride the non-optimal path because you have to find a way around somebody and if they're in the best line you have to be able to make a good line out of a bad line
1: yeah yeah i leave it on when you're not where you're comfortable <clears throat> that's an advantage of of doing fast laps though because occasionally you'll miss a corner <laughs> And yep you got to figure out okay re-square it off but you know you, you have to experience that because in a race that's lost time but if you're used to missing a corner from time to time then it becomes natural What's and
0: kind of like i mentioned uh, about chase sexton not um thinking too far back uh in his race if you can it's not ideal but if you can get used to below, you know, going over a berm and recover and get back on the track in (laughs) a safe environment where it's just you, then if you, if it happens in a race, you know, you go a little high on the berm and you pop up and over, you don't panic. You're like, well, I've done this plenty of times and get back on the track without, uh, you know, messing up your flow.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're getting off on tangents here, but it's still kind of fun. Uh, I was reading a thing to, yesterday that that uh zach Osborne was talking about when he used to practice at tomac's place i didn't realize he did um must have been back in the geico days where they would go out and practice without a rear brake or without a front brake or without a clutch
0: that's oh, brilliant
1: yeah you know for what they i don't need to do that and you don't need to do that but but for these, for the really top guys, that's an important thing to do. If you've, uh, I saw somebody recently, um, got hit and their shift lever got broke off. This was in a recent supercross this year. And, you know, you just have to figure out how to adapt to that.
0: Yeah. I remember hearing stories like that. I mean, even going back to Dungey having to shift with his hand in the air like that does
1: come up that was the best
0: (laughs) yeah and and the fact that you know they can still do well and you hear from people's like oh no they're dropping anchor and then afterwards they're like yeah i lost my rear brake halfway through the moto yeah and you're like they were going that fast without a (laughs) rear brake are you kidding me yeah all of a sudden it went from oh they're dropping anchor i wonder what you know i wonder if they're out of shape or their heads all messed up. It's like, no, they were going way too fast for yeah. their conditions. Yeah. That's impressive now.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's
0: a good idea to, to ride with a handicap, Yeah, quite honestly. Yep. I should have made you do that sometimes when we raced. I could have used the help.
1: <laughs> yeah. Let the air out of my tires.
0: Well, I mean, that's something you've you've gotten used to. Is you I've seen you ride plenty with no air in the back tire. Oh, gotta get it back to the truck.
1: <laughs> yep, you do. Yep, you do.
0: Yeah, over, overcoming adversity is—it's um, the name of the game, really. That's what wins championships. Yeah, is the ability to bounce back from what would be a DNF to get those ten points. I mean, you know, with Ken Rockson, it's got to still be in the back of his head that he's three points down right now. He would have been three points up if yeah. he could have pushed for one more lap. Yeah. Like if he could have found that speed on the last lap of Daytona a couple laps sooner. Yeah. If, you know, if he would have had a five second lead drop down to three and then pushed it back out to five and Tomac knew that. Yeah. Maybe he wouldn't have mounted that kind of a charge.
1: And he's done that a couple of times this year. There's times where Tomac has caught him and he stepped it up and went away. But, you know, he was he was just saying that, you know, it's long term. Got to think long term.
0: As long as they're still long-term.
1: Yeah, you don't, well, but health-wise, you know, he doesn't want yeah. to get busted up. And so, but
0: imagine if they called the season now, how oh, he yeah. would feel yeah. knowing yeah. that he had it in the bag yeah. and Tomac just ripped it away. And then yeah. he had the speed. If yeah. he would have had it a lap sooner, that would be the most frustrating thing And uh, to happen. think that you lost it it him that, that much.
1: That way too, this year is not. It might be done. We don't know. Mm-hmm. It could settle out to that pass in, in Daytona being the championship.
0: Which, to be honest, if everyone knew it was the last round, if everyone knew and they came in oh, tied with points
1: exactly. yeah.
0: and Roxon had that lead and Tomac legitimately did that and passed him, that would be one of the most epic ends to a season. Yes. You know, in retrospect, like to come in – tied in points and him be way back and come back and make it happen that would be
1: that's, an epic
0: ride from Tomac
1: that's called earning it
0: mhm so you know i've i've thought about if they do call it mm-hmm. this is not an asterisk tomac earned this yeah. even down to the last pass yeah, of the season
1: yes he did absolutely yeah. you know they all earned the positions that they got there wasn't you know a, a bunch of situations where it was bad luck or whatever. These guys really have done what they can do.
0: <clears throat> hey, since we're doing tangents, did you hear Cole Seely has a line of coffee?
1: He no, started his... He has a lot of, uh, you know, shirts and merchandise like that, but coffee, huh?
0: He has a coffee company. It's called Bump Bumpstart.
1: <laughs> Bumpstart.
0: Yeah, but it's got um, like the highest caffeine content of any any coffee or something to that extent. It's oh,
1: like Jolt Cola, huh?
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> that's sort of a thing. It's the it's got the same uh, caffeine as of an energy drink in a cup of coffee.
1: Oh man, that's dangerous.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's business. He he does say drink responsibly on the uh, website. <laughs>
1: Wow, so it's, so it's like is it closer to uh, an espresso shop?
0: Um, i I would assume, but it is a drip coffee system. It's coffee beans. it's just roasted coffee beans. Um, wow. but yeah, it, it's got a huge amount of caffeine in it. so however he did that, it just got me thinking, um, you know, we see people like Cole Sealy, um, start the Sealy speed factory, like right after he retires, like Mm -hmm. he obviously had a lot of this stuff in the works before he retired. He's got the speed factory. He's got the shirts. He's got the YouTube channel. He's got now a a brand of coffee, like, and then you go back, Kevin Wyndham owns a whole bunch of, um, I believe it's crunch fitness centers,
1: Planet, planet fitness,
0: planet fitness centers. Um, all these, uh, all these people now have a plan before they retire. You know, a lot of, a lot of them do. A lot of them have, you know, an income source. You see some that, that don't. And, you know, I follow them and I'm thinking, what are they doing? Are they doing a nine to five now? And you see sometimes they go out and they ride a private bike, but you know, others are on the grind They're, you know, Oh, this is what I'm doing now. I'm, this is how I'm supporting myself. And I wonder if any of that had to do with um, a few years back, there was a story of uh, of a prominent writer. I don't remember. I don't want to say the name because I don't remember for sure. But their parents kind of blew all of the money that they earned writing. That was, um,
1: that was uh, Josh Grant.
0: Josh Grant, yeah. And so they all the money that they had made was was gone. Uh, so they had to you know, try and figure out how to, how to go from there to, to think that you try and build up this nest egg and then it's, it's gone. And people like Jesse Nelson, you know, unfortunately early in his career still, and now he's, you know, out with paralysis and, you know, some people plan ahead and some don't get the chance. Jesse was very young when he got injured, but like Cole Seely, you see them planning ahead and he you know, he's got business plans going and he's, you know, shipping merch and making things. Um, it's really good to see the push for having a career after racing and uh even the training centers doing more with education so these riders can have a career after riding.
1: Yeah, because that's that's important. You can't especially especially a person that's a professional motocrosser those are super motivated people and for them to stop and do nothing doesn't work it doesn't work and i mean when you're a super motivated person you're going to do stuff look at brian Villapoto, man he he ended up buying a track and he was doing construction with a buddy was kept him busy all day but, you know, it wasn't long term what he wanted to do, or simply Yamaha gave him a better offer of a way to spend his time. Uh, I wouldn't blame him if it was partly because he wanted to move back to California because being up in Seattle, it just rains all the time. What are you going to do being that we're from that area? I know what that's like.
0: Yeah, but he he found you know, something, not everyone can be a, uh, an ambassador, but I am seeing an amazing amount of people that, that are even Weston Pike took over the fly racing Instagram, uh, last couple days. Oh, really and Yeah, exactly. I hadn't heard much from him, but he's been piping up more and more over, uh, over Instagram, which is a great way to follow riders. Um, but he, you know, he, took over for them, which they usually only do for, for riders. So, I mean, to some extent, even with his injuries, he's still sponsored by fly racing. So you got to wonder what he's doing for the organization, seeing as, you know, he's, he'll likely never ride to, you know, a, a pinnacle level again, right. you know, how is he making himself useful to the brand? Cause he obviously is and has been, you know, for a while,
1: Yeah, yeah, um, they, it keeps them busy. I'm trying to think of, there was another guy that, that, well, look at Josh Hill. When he retired, he went to work for Monster Energy.
0: And- yeah, for, for a number of years and then, uh, and now he's out, he's out racing again. Like it's, you know, some people bounce around a little bit more, um, but yeah, I, it's good to see people <clears throat> planning ahead a little bit more.
1: Yeah, yeah, because I mean, there's those there's those stories of failure where the guys didn't find something to do, and <clears throat> heck, one of them ended up in jail, and the other one committed suicide. So you have to, you have to, you know, you have to have plans for after moto. You just definitely, are you know, I guess, you know, the, the average Joe though when moto's over he's kind of done a lot of people quit early you know they no, don't stay motivated with it but but um, yeah
0: you just don't you don't make it you know we're we're talking about the people that that do you know reach the dream but still by the time they're 30 yeah. they got to pick up a nine to five or start a business or you know kind of join the rest of the world anyway that's yep. a very short time that you can be in that even even at your best chad reed's not 40 and he's simply you know on his way out of the the pinnacle of the of the series you know
1: yeah but then he's he's hoping he's hoping to reach the pinnacle of another series of being car races you know look at uh um
0: Ricky Johnson is a great is is a great example of of uh, parlaying your success into another uh, sport.
1: Yeah, yeah. Rick Johnson, uh, Brian Deegan, Jeremy, mm-hmm. Spratt, they all went and raced trucks. Uh, there's more of them than that, but those are the Carmichael
0: best. and Pastrana both raced NASCAR for a short time.
1: They did. Yep.
0: And yep. you know, Pastrana's done. He's done everything. Like Pastrana is is a great example of you know, someone who was on the path to being young and broken and unemployed after Supercross. He was this phenom that came in, was yeah. winning, was winning, and then too hard to continue at a very young age. But instead of becoming a burnout, he became, uh, you know, a sign of hope to yeah. anyone in a similar position. He's now one of the biggest names in all of motorsport. If
1: Yeah, he is. I mean and he hasn't had to take a gate drop in 18 years something like that
0: i mean you you pull someone off the street and you show them you know the five most prominent dirt bike riders you can think of yeah um and pastrana will be the most recognized of all of them yeah uh i mean from hurricane hannah to ricky carmichael to jeremy mcgrath It's gonna be Pastrana that everyone knows.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even Roger Decoster. You, uh, if you cover the, the, one more time, the average Joe person that has a TV in their house, they know who Travis is.
0: Yep. Or even
1: market himself. He definitely did. (laughs) Did it cost him physically? Probably, (laughs) but he knew how to market himself.
0: Yep, and really, a lot of his injuries were done. You know, pre-freestyle, he was already uh, Uh, pretty, pretty badly broken. Not that he didn't get injured doing freestyle, but, you know, a little bit less. And then, you know, as he went into rally and uh, now if he does any stunts, they wrap wrap him up like the Michelin man.
1: Yeah, you can see it. He he does. He looks like he's got an airbag all the way around him, which, hey, I I would too if I was going to do some of that stuff. I yeah, my the, the the rally stuff that he did gosh he was rally champion more times he, was he was motocross champion
0: rally and rally cross he was he was beating the likes of Ken block like yeah, yeah, yeah. he was no slouch
1: mm-hmm. yeah and he
0: still he still does race from time to time um you know uh uh I think my youngest got sick but I I had planned last year to take uh my two sons out to the Oregon trail rally because his team. And I believe Ken blocks team were going to be on the Oregon trail rally.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So, I mean, they still race from time to time.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they do for the fun of it. Just like Josh Hill, they race for the fun of it.
0: There's a lot of people that still do for the fun of it. Um, Donnie, Han- uh, Donnie Hansen. No, I don't know if he does. Josh, work. Josh Hansen.
1: Oh yeah. He still does. Yeah
0: yeah and he you know I don't see him in the races anymore but I always see him uh, riding for, for shift and doing you know commercials and just mm-hmm. he's always on the bike and always doing things even though he's not competing he's still everywhere
1: yeah I look at uh, you know, one that comes to mind to me from way back that people wouldn't think about is Mark Barnett he was a 80, 1981 125 champion <clears throat> he still is a track builder
0: today. see that's brilliant. He knows exactly what you want yep. out of a track cuz he used to ride. So his ability to to design and build and the angles and everything, he doesn't have to be a you know a geometry whiz. He knows what it's supposed to look like and why.
1: Yeah. Yep. And he must like it.
0: Or at least he gets paid well enough to like it.
1: Yeah. Yep. <laughs> that's one true. or the yeah. other. That's true, because he's kind of from back in the day when they didn't get paid huge, huge money. I did hear that Hannah set himself up; he does not have to work. Bob Hannah. Yeah, because he was kind of, he was kind of the, I must say maybe the third <clears throat> motocross superstar you know of of my age. Anyway, you got Roger DeCoster, you got Marty Smith, and you got Bob Hannah, kind of in that order as far as superstars that probably made enough to where they don't need to make money anymore. Yeah. Well, this, they'll probably laugh at me and say, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. It's just an <clears throat> assumption made from a distance.
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting how, you know, the, the finances work out on that and, and the peaks and valleys of it. <clears throat> you know, when Ricky Carmichael was in his prime, there was a lot of people getting – uh, you know, third and fourth in the championship. And we're still making the same per year as, um, you know, as the champions were in the, you know, late 2000s, early 10s mm-hmm. during the, the low, uh, financial low here in the U.S. So, you know, you got to wonder who got, you know, who got signed before they were good and had to write out a poor contract, you know, for their first couple of championships.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah so that
0: would be kind of interesting to poke around those guys heads and and uh see what there is to see because i know um um david bailey uh although he was a multi-time champion he had a hard time finding work um up even 10 years ago uh when we were kind of uh you know around him I've, i've heard that he's had a hard time kind of finding things to do, which is, which is a shame because he's probably my favorite, um, rider from before I watched mm-hmm. and, you know, road, road, probably my favorite bike that's ever been made. And
1: yeah. yeah, the last of the factory bikes.
0: Yeah, exactly. The unobtainium bikes, but, yeah so there's there's also the stories of the ones who who didn't quite make it and you know we wish them all the best but um yeah i'm i'm really curious as to how the the sport has changed over the decades because i've seen it change a little bit from you know the mid-2000s when i was old enough to really kind of understand to current but you know going back and watching old races from the from the 80s only shows so much of the picture uh, the same yeah. as it does for F1 or NASCAR or any other sport if you're not you know living in it you're never going to quite get the the overall vibe of the sport that's changed because I can see how the bikes have changed and the tracks have changed and the racing has changed um, but to me 1986 to 1995 is my favorite era to watch the racing of, of Supercross when I go back Mm -hmm. because they, there were hay bales. The bikes did not react in a predictable
1: way. Oh no. Yeah, they didn't No jumps. The, all the whoops and things were straight up and down.
0: Yeah. Everything was very vertical. Um, and it kept speeds down, Mm -hmm. but people would land on the gas, And quite honestly, it was arena cross.
1: Yes, it was was so much. The miles per hour was so much less. When you watch those races and you watch them, you know, leap through the whoops or, you know, jumping through the whoops or whatever, man, it looks like they're going like 15 miles an hour, which they might be.
0: Well, I mean, you could probably take someone who didn't qualify through any LCQs this year and put them up against some of the best guys On you know, at their peak and Michael Lieb could probably beat, you know, uh, Hurricane Hannah in his prime on that bike because the, the bikes have progressed so much.
1: So much, yeah. Yeah, they have progressed a long ways.
0: Yeah, when people say, well, you know, this person at their prime, okay, well, they were at their prime with a specific type of bike and having ridden your 74 Elsinore, my 84, 125, and you're 04 or 05, 125, yeah. the bikes are so different so. that you could easily be the best at one type of bike, and there's a chance that Hurricane Hannah could never have won a race in his prime on these bikes. On the fourth, Just the way right? your body works, the way that your mind works, and you know how you read the track, it's not the same. You may not be able to connect those two things just like you know it's all motorcycles but there's no way that ken rocks can get on a uh on a moto gp bike and you know win, you know a race like that there's very low chance okay. cross discipline is very difficult and i don't think there's a difference between riding an old school bike and a new bike that isn't it's cross discipline
1: yeah well you know uh uh to Ken Roxon's credit, you brought him up. He won straight rhythm on a two stroke.
0: He did and he never he never raced a full size two stroke in competition.
1: Nope, he never did. So that was pretty amazing really. Uh, that he jumped over there and did that. Granted, you know, he raced like most people, they raced, you know, sixty fives and eighty fives and such before they go to a two fifty F.
0: But Carson Brown said, uh, when he did, I believe it was Carson Brown at Straight Rhythm that said he had never, ever ridden a two stroke before. Even really? his, even his 50, even his 50 was a four stroke.
1: Yeah, I, I guess you're right. I've seen him on XR100s and, and, you know, pit bikes like that a lot. And
0: it was Carson Brown or Joey Crown, uh, but one of the one of them had said that he had never ridden any two stroke bike before the straight rhythm.
1: Wow, <laughs> that's something.
0: Yeah, that's the era that we're in, you know. Uh, especially thanks to Honda with the 150R. Yeah. You know, there the you know two strokes were looking to be extinct, but I I think I think they're coming back with Europe uh, <laughs> promoting the 125 two stroke class again. I think there's a chance yeah and we could see that back here,
1: yeah at least as a support class.
0: I think this is a great week to to kind of get my brain out about this. I think that this needs to happen we need we need a filler class putting kids from the eighty five two stroke to a two fifty four stroke i I don't think it's wise to change to wheel size and the weight and yep. the type of combustion. I think that's all it's too much all at once,
1: yep. Yep. I remember, you know, a, a a popular displacement for me growing up was a 100. <clears throat> we all had, we went from our mini bikes, whatever they happened to be, to 100s. You know, 125s, I remember when my first friend got a 125 compared to our 100s. It was a big difference.
0: And we're talking two strokes still, right?
1: We're talking two oh Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Me at my age, we're certainly talking two strokes, but...
0: Well, uh, they had thumpers, but they were very much trail bikes.
1: We, well, right, and you know we got off of like Honda fifties, CT seventies, uh, SL seventies; those were all four strokes. But <clears throat> when you went up, when you went got off of those bikes and got on to even an XR seventy five, when you went went to a one hundred cc two stroke, uh, man, they were a lot faster. But then, but still, it was a decent jump. Because if you once you went from 100 to 125, you just went that much faster. It was a substantial difference, I felt back in the day. <clears throat> First time I rode a 125, it was a 1975 125 Elsinore compared to my 73 100 MX. Wow, wow, it was a giant difference. Um, so, yeah, going from an 85, which though you know, those things got a lot of power, but you well, they got 16 and 19 inch wheels on them you're going from a to a 19 and a 21 you're probably what 70 pounds more in weight 60 pounds more in weight and
0: well you're also going from a two-stroke to a four-stroke so that's going to add more weight so i i think that's probably accurate for weight
1: horsepower wise you're going from what probably 24 to 36 uh, maybe nearly 40. I'm not sure what the 250s are putting out now, but that's a big jump. And, and you know, really, all those are something, but it's the speed. It's the miles per hour that a 250 will do over an 85.
0: And when you add all those together also, like any one of those things would be fine, but you start adding up all of those differences, and it's such a different bike. And and they say, you know, all these kids that come up out of amateurs, they say, well, you know, it's Loretta's, they're finally on a two fifty in the B class. Let's see if they can transition to the big bike. And then again to the four fifties, transition to the big bike.
1: Yep. Yeah.
0: Yep. I think it would it would behoove us to, you know, if you went to a one twenty five two stroke, uh, they're finding ways of making them very clean now, uh, which I actually have something to bring up a little bit later about that. But um on top of that, you know, you already increasing the wheel size which is going to change how the bike reacts completely yeah. Yeah. the frame's much bigger it's yeah. still going way up in displacement still a lot more power but you know the difference between you know that and also changing the power delivery from a two-stroke to a four-stroke and that extra you know seven to ten horsepower uh, on top of everything else I think that's just that's a bit much.
1: It is a lot. It is a lot. You know, and anytime you can minimize the the injuries or at least potential for injuries, and and you know, backing up the reality of it is a one twenty five two stroke is so much fun. Yeah, there's times where you're like, oh, this needs to be a little bit faster. But if you're racing in a class, everyone's got that same uh same launching pad. They're all riding the same thing. But you to ride them is completely fun.
0: Oh, they're they're a blast and that could, you know, help kids from burning out especially they've already set up a venue for this. We're ready to go. Like yeah. they've already done uh, you know, 125 uh, races at outdoors and yep. they're setting up the Sup- supercross futures events that should include a premier class that is a 125 two stroke factory mm. class Yeah. you know and that's kind of throwing a bone to KTM and Husky and to Yamaha and you know Honda might have a fit about it but you know that I think they're that's
1: dude, them and Kawasaki they're not happy about the two stroke stuff but yeah it'd be hard for them to jump back in if there's money in it they would do it
0: which I think I think there could be you know yeah, be too. Because I know I, if Honda still made a 125, that would probably be where my sights would be because I don't need anything more powerful than my current 450. I don't need a newer one. Mine's hugely reliable, yep. hugely capable. It'll do way more than I can do. I have no reason to upgrade it at this point. Um, but uh, a newer 125 could be nice, something that's... Fuel injected, you know, reliable. It's going to have a little bit better longevity, a little bit easier on the, on the trails. Like set up to do that, that would be nice, especially the um. Like the 450 XR, I believe they call it, uh, where it's kind of an cross between their off road X model and their track uh, R model.
1: CRF X.
0: Well, there's a CRF X and there's a CRF R, but then there's the XR or RX. 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 Yeah, where it's it's got a little bit of both. Um,
1: yeah, it's still got it's, the. Uh, but it doesn't have a headlight, but it's got an 18-inch rear wheel. Um, I don't. Know and the
0: suspension that. is valved, kind of right in between them. I yeah. think if I could get a 125, a CR 125 RX would be ideal for me and what i do because especially you know with efi and you know proper oil delivery i wouldn't have to worry about uh it bogging down when i'm riding with the kids Mm -hmm. you know because that's generally a carburation issue the new bikes don't do that so much
1: Yeah, yeah they do run whatever rpms you want them to
0: so that would be that would be uh that'd be really fun i would like if they would make that but Um, And, you know, if they did, that's just, you know, a headlight, you know, different than whatever their race bike would be in the Futures program. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And, you know, a way to expand our sport a little bit, we need to get more outside sponsorship money in, but, you know, a little more close racing never hurt.
1: Moving on to MXGP, they did uh, put out a new schedule as of March 18th. <clears throat> they've, obviously, they've had two races, uh, Great Britain and the Netherlands. The next one at this point is scheduled for uh, Russia in the 7th, on the 7th of June. And then they keep going hard all the way through because there's a lot of uh, a lot of races on that. And the last last race this year is uh in argentina on the 22nd of november that's like 22nd the, that's like the week before thanksgiving that's <clears throat> days thanksgiving.
0: before thanksgiving
1: it's actually nearly a month after the motocross of nations which is still scheduled for twenty seven september in Erne, france
0: That's another thing I was thinking. If we're going to have supercross right after outdoors, like how is that going to line up with donations? Is are we going to be are we going to have finished our outdoor series by donations? Because they won't have. And I think that might be interesting if you've got some of the fastest people protecting championships and not riding to their fullest extents.
1: True. They, you know, you could have a lot of guys like we have here in America, some of the best guys not do it.
0: Yeah, I wonder if you face them with that. I mean, they're they're going to because according to the MXGP, they're going to have it in the middle of their season. So is a Jeffrey Hurlings going to even race much less to their highest level?
1: Yeah. There's six races after September 27th. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, there's a would make complete sense if if some of the guys just held off and said no. I did read some stuff where they may cancel the nations. Yeah, having to push everything back.
0: Yeah, if you're going to lose a race, that's I mean, that's probably one to. Yeah, one to ditch. I mean, but that's us saying it. You know, from a side of we're. Six or seven years removed from a win, and it's going to be in a place we don't really have much of a chance.
1: Ah, oh, they have a decent chance in RNA. It's the sand tracks that they haven't had much of a chance. But they, we have a chance there. But you know, you got to send your even if it's not your best guys. It's people that are on it that are hungry that want it. Um, you know. And this year we did send guys like that. They were hungry and they wanted it. Um,
0: yeah, we we have we two years ago we had no excuse Right,
1: Uh,
0: and and they didn't try to put forth an excuse. They all said we just got beat.
1: Yeah. That's, and that's what it was. Yeah.
0: And then last, last year was simply bad luck from, from the get go in a track that we weren't likely to do well in. Yeah. And like that, we kind of had everything, they had everything against them and they still did decently just, you know,
1: And that's because they wanted it. They had the bad luck, too, but they wanted it. That's why they did decent and didn't get, you know, 7th or 13th, you know. A
0: lot of people scored a lot of points. Like, a lot of teams, high-scoring points that year. Like, we really should have won because that was – to think second place had 20-something points that year. Yeah. That's incredibly high.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it is.
0: But – so here's what I'm trying to, trying to figure out. According to the 2020 Lucas Oil Pro Motocross Championship schedule, uh-huh. we just everything has to be assuming that these schedules don't change.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, September 5th is the last race. Yes. So that still leaves us three weeks, as usual, to donations.
1: Yep. Hey, maybe we need to go this year. All the good guys aren't going to want to be there, and that would be a cakewalk.
0: <laughs> See, but here's here's the problem. September 5th, we have the last race, Apollo, and then the 27th is Donations. Yep. If we do Supercross after yeah. Outdoors, there's yeah. zero chance. Zero. Zero. Because
1: like, yeah. they, no one... be they won't even be in modal form. They'll be in Supercross form.
0: Yeah, they will have already changed over, some of them, you know, in August.
1: Yeah, they're not going to switch back for one race. It was amazing enough that uh, the guys this year tried to stay in moto form for, what was it, three, four weeks? A long time. They went to Europe and just hung out there and and did the best they could.
0: And Roger DeCoster said two years ago after our loss at Redbud, um, he said... For us to win, because they asked him, what's it going to take to win? And he said in a a documentary, he said, we would have to get three riders with their full teams and we would have to spend four to six weeks prepping and really doing it. Like, Mm -hmm. he's like, that's what it would take. And we would win every single year, no matter who we sent. But he said, that's what it would take, four to six weeks of completely... We are now MotoGP riders. Yeah, all for one race that no one gets paid for.
1: Yeah, that no one gets paid for. Exactly. It's it's uh, it's definitely not worth the the price to satisfy your ego.
0: Yeah, and it, we would have to make it worth it. Basically, I mean, if if we had everyone come together and had basically collection cans at all of the outdoor races, it's like, hey. Support our, you know, um, you know, our athletes to go over there, and if people, you know, pooled, you know, fans pooled their resources together and you know helped send them there and helped recoup some of the costs, maybe even pay them to do the race a little bit. That might help.
1: Back in the early '80s, that's what they did. <clears throat> they took they took donations. They sold T-shirts. You know, you you'd pay like. $25 for a six or $7 t-shirt, but they took, that's that what Puerto and, Rico did. And, and I, I, I'm sure mine's dead now, but I had the one from 1982 and 1983 t-shirts.
0: Yep. And that's how you, you put your money where your mouth is. Like yeah. if you want to see them go over there,
1: yeah.
0: 20 bucks, 30 bucks, like yeah. try to be a, a part of, of getting, yeah. getting people over there. Cause that costs so much money. For teams to go, and I do believe Kawasaki stated last was it for last year or for this upcoming year that they would not be sending the their any of their riders overseas. Hmm. So Adam and Eli the, are not going to go. Yeah, the, it was too too high a chance for for injuries, um, right. and that's the thing is that's just another chance for them to get hurt, and even if it was if they had rescheduled donations for like a week after, you know, while we're doing all these, these changes, but that's one of the ones that probably kept it scheduled date based on the three week gap. If we had donations the weekend after Mm
1: -hmm.
0: we would still do better, even though they'd have no time over there. Yeah. Ideally.
1: Yeah.
0: Two weeks after.
1: Yeah. You know, but i don't know why these series didn't make it but back back in the 70s they had the trans ama and trans usa where several you know europeans i'd say at least eight to ten of them would come over here and they would do an international series over here it was six seven races and that was always super exciting uh i went to the 1977 trans ama at puyallup washington And watch that race. You know, you had Marty Smith, Roger Decoster, Bob Hanna. You know, all these guys were racing, and it was the the stands were or the stands. It was raining, and that place was packed because it was the best riders in the world. I mean, the Europeans came over here, and you know, for the most part, uh, the Europeans were still winning it back in those days. But that was a neat series, you know, shorten up mxgp by five races shorten up the uh ama uh, nationals by yeah i don't know if they could do five races less or not but um shorten it up and spread it out to something like that
0: well what if we what if they did it this way uh in the upcoming schedules um june 20th 21st is the high point national but that is a gap in the uh MXGP calendar. Uh, they race on the 14th and on the 28th. Um, so, what if you take the off weeks from one to the other and you make that an AMA slash FIM, you know, true Trans AMA championship? And go, hey, this race counts towards both series.
1: Yeah. And oh, then, you- yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: And then you know a weekend that you know they don't race here in the U.S. Um, you know I can't I can't count it up and and uh, find one quite quick enough. I mean there's a big gap from July 25th to August 15th. Um, they,
1: could have a, they could basically have an MXGP
0: Belgium Belgium and Germany. Those rounds are both run during a break in the AMA calendar. You could so you could have High Point and then Belgium and Germany. And make these four rounds, hey, there's going to be some uh, Americans in the Belgium and Germany races, and they're racing four points Yeah, because you're going to have a separate. So you're going to have the AMA championship, Mm -hmm. the world championship, and then the trans AMA championship Mm -hmm. that is only like six rounds long or whatever, and it's just, hey, if you want to race full series, You just don't get that weekend off to rest, but you get it to, you know, fly over That's, I mean, that's a lot though. You would have to have teams work together like, uh, you know, factory KTM would have it pretty easy, but, um, you know, HRC and KTM could probably do it relatively easy where they have a bike ready and you just ship your suspension over and you spend a couple days testing and go for it and you know over the years you'll get better at it and that would be you know sometimes we would have to race on their rough tracks they'd have to come over race on our hard pack tracks Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: if if they could do two races here and two races there even if it's a four race series and if
0: you're if if you're looking at the championship and you go oh when we get to you know uh buds creek which they have something uh i believe that weekend but you Know when we get to Buds Creek, if the points are still tight, you got to watch out because Hurlings might be over here or Kyroli might be and, and over be here. A
1: spoiler, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, have it still count towards the MXGP and the AMA, but separate it out to for like a trans AMA type of situation where you have two races here, two races there, and you could have a trans AMA, they wouldn't need to have uh motocross of nations anymore they wouldn't need to he could if he wanted to but
0: but that well i mean that could make that a much closer event like because you're already you know crossing over and then they uh i say they the mxgp guys might be more willing to come and race in the u.s if they've had a chance to race these tracks more Uh uh-huh i mean it's this isn't cheap. This is this is a lot of work. It's a lot of expense, but it could be a really fun fun idea for those who are who are willing to, to do that. I'd wonder what team managers would think of that idea.
1: It would be a, a true world ch- championship series.
0: Yeah, I mean, maybe the riders wouldn't dig the idea of not having their off weekends, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, it could be you know you're out of the standard championship already. you know you've yeah. got someone like Roman Feber or Jason Anderson that has enough bad races and they're just not on it. but hey, I could go race in the US. I could go race in Germany and I could you know pick or, up a little bit of a little bit of a uh, you know experience and maybe win a title this year that other not, people aren't going for
1: or not change a thing. Have you know have Washugel and Spring Creek. Uh, be the two races that are <clears throat> nationals and Trans AMA, and then you go over and you can do you know uh, Belgium and France as far as those you know whatever two races are in a row over there uh, you could do yeah you could do France and Italy um, as uh, those are just before the other two races that I mentioned you could do still do four races in a row of this Trans USA but have them also be mxgps and nationals to where your points all don't get messed up but you can throw it in there and let these guys race against each other. So one time you have a bad day and it's all screwed up but four races in a row probably not going to be a luck thing it's going to it'll shake itself out
0: yeah the key is um you know to not have an ama race and a mxgp race on the same weekend
1: well, if you had them at the same, if you had unless they
0: were at the same venue, are you? So you're talking about using Washu, like Washougal and Bud's Creek as MXGP races. Correct. So you're talking about just smashing the two series together, basically, and just yeah, mixing for, it for all like up.
1: Or races, and you still get your points. If you're an MXGP guy, you know, if you're the If you're the third MXGP guy, but you finish seventh place, you still get your third place MXGP. You know what I'm saying? So it doesn't mess with that.
0: Oh, that sounds like really complicated mathematics there.
1: If you separate out the series, it's not. Hmm. And so that way, but you could count the points in the trans AMA as first, second, third, you know, that's what it is. And you could determine a, a true world champion out even with just four races. You could get it done.
0: Hmm. That's that's an interesting thought, and you know, then my brain starts to think about uh, to confuse our listeners even more. We've talked about the you know the combined Supercross Outdoor Championship, and
1: right. Right.
0: you know, offering somehow mixing that in into it and you know, having a grand sport champion that, you know, could, you know, accrue points throughout the year at all of these events and Hey, why not use the Australian races also? And, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, in December 31st, you know, tally up everyone's points throughout the year and, you know, you know, whoever races the most, cause then you could maybe not win a championship, but if you race all of these series, you accrue points throughout the year. Yeah. You know, you could be, you know, a third or fourth place guy most of the time, but you just keep racing, and you and you can win.
1: They used to keep track of that. I know back when Glenn, David Bailey and I think Brock Glover were both called Grand National Championships. They gave them gold gold uh, background of their number, but I think also there was pretty recently, you know, semi recently, uh, Andrew Short was like the biggest points getter a few years in a row because he did well in both series and didn't get hurt he was kind of you know he was always going and he, he won that a lot but you know who would know that Andrew Short you know earned the most points of anybody in some years that maybe even Ricky Carmichael was a champion
0: yep yeah in- interesting thoughts of uh, mixing all those up and smashing them on top of each other yeah um, but you know, if but, it, you know we, we throw out enough ideas one of them might stick
1: one of them might stick you know you just it, it uh if it brings more people into the venues and um then maybe that brings
0: is. in more money to the sport it gets more sponsors yeah. and more people get rides with you know yeah. paychecks big enough to you know support their families and that's yeah. that's why we are here
1: yeah yeah enjoyment and The people that are professionals at it need to be able to make money out of it. That can't be a loss for them.
0: Yep. Or they'll do something else and then we won't have anyone to watch.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, that, that I'm glad they keep updating the schedule because you know, now they've, uh, you know, basically stopped the GNCC series, uh, before it even started and Loretta lenses is is stopped. And, uh, I had planned to try and watch GNCC this year, but I mean, at least this gives me a chance to get caught up. Um, because you know, I, I follow some of these guys now in, um, you know, uh, in the, the bigger, like the sea to sky and stuff, uh, on the other side of the pond. Uh, yeah. And you know, when the Americans go over to the ISTE, uh, And so I know Caleb Russell is just a a monster and Josh Strang is amazingly good. Uh, Stuart Baylor is a, you know, former KTM rider that I I know of. And I know he's really good, but he's on a bike that I have never in my life heard of. And it looks like Grant Baylor, which I'm assuming is kin, is also on this uh, Sherco. Mm-hmm. Do you know anything about Sherco?
1: Shercos were have always been a trials bike. Um, from back way back in the day, <clears throat> Montes's and Shercos and stuff there. Uh, if I'm remembering right, the, the Sherco is kind of a shirt tail relative to a Bultaco, I think. I could be way off on this, but it seems like to me it's a Shirt tail relative. I think they I wanna say they started making them in Spain. As a off. I could be wrong, totally wrong, I and mean, they may be Italians and then a spinoff of the Galeras. But I think it's the Bull Taco. But Sherco's Sherco's been around for a long time, and I know they've made some like uh, enduro bikes. They had a 300cc two-stroke um, of several years back, even that you know it just wasn't there weren't dealers here in the United States, so we didn't hear about them. Uh, but uh, I'm pretty sure it's a Spanish company.
0: And Bull Taco is, um, uh, it's, it was a Spanish brand, correct? Correct, yes. Huh, and they, they I mean, that company shuttered in the early 80s?
1: Um, think maybe, maybe late yeah. 70s? Yeah, it would have been early 80s. Um, Yeah, early '80s. It was gosh, I'm trying to think about this. 75, 79. <clears throat> okay, now it looks like it's a it's a spinoff of the TM. I'm real sure the TM.
0: And TM, they're having a, a bit of a revival in MXGP.
1: The Because they
0: they picked up a a uh, a. Uh, uh, pretty big named writer. Um trying to remember who that was now. Uh but yeah, there's there's a kind of a, a renaissance for some for some teams that started with Husqvarna or kind of started with KTM, you know, back in two thousand two with Jeremy McGrath. And, you know, it wasn't until you know uh you know Dungey started writing them that they, you know, got big over here and now they're, you know, they're almost running things in a lot of parts of the world. And, you know, Husqvarna is, you know, a full team now and they're starting to become more and more distant from the KTMs. And now we're seeing KTM and Shirko, We're seeing a lot more brands where, you know, a couple of years ago, we were worried about Kawasaki and Suzuki possibly disappearing. And now we're seeing, this, uh, space being split between a lot more brands. Is that, is that putting stress on some of the smaller brands or is this showing that there's actually more health in the sport than we gave it credit for?
1: No doubt it shows health that a company like Sherco and gas gas getting into MXGP, these bits, that's not a cheap thing to do. Granted gas gas is, is backed by KTM right now, but Sherco, you know they're they're on their own they're, They they uh, i just found some history on it and this is where i think it this is where i was thinking it came from botaco it may not have but it was founded in barcelona spain in 1998
0: oh in 98
1: in 98 and that's where the trials bikes come from they have a f- uh, factory in france now that opened in 2003 which makes most all the rest of the bikes Huh. So that's where I was thinking the shirt tail of of, Bull Taco was because it started in Spain. And, you know, maybe there is some connection there. I'd have to dig deeper. But I I thought there was a Spanish connection there uh, with the Shirko's.
0: So Shirko's got uh, Stuart Baylor and TM has picked up Max Nagal on oh, really? mxgp yep um he's on a tm now uh and tm's italian they're based in uh passaro uh and yeah they're they're racing uh mxgp this year with you know with a real talent
1: it's it's it is neat to see these guys you know <clears throat> take the gamble and uh Get into real racing and get their name out there, and to, to the point where people will buy their products. And you know, just like it's always good to see somebody start a business and make a go of it and and make a living for themselves and everyone that works for them. It's a neat yeah, thing, but this is a motor motorcycles. There's that's a tough one to get into. And this is, this is their
0: opportunity to become the guy, you know, like Stuart Baylor uh, said in an interview that, you know, they've got Caleb Russell uh, and after Caleb, they've got Ben Kelly coming up and he's like, I don't feel like I was going to ever be the guy there, you know? And so Mm -hmm. he wanted to go somewhere that, you know, he was going to get the, the attention that he thought he needed to get to that next level. And, um, for those who don't know, he came in second, uh, only to Caleb Russell in the last GNCC that they ran, and he was in the lead till the last lap. Um, so, I mean, obviously it's a good bike, and you know everyone knew that he had skill, but he was able to get it to that level. And you know, Max Nagal is going to be possibly TM's most ho- high-profile racer of any discipline
1: yeah.
0: Um, so he's going to get whatever he needs you know uh, Baylor spoke about the problem of not being able to get aftermarket parts is tricky Mm -hmm. so if he wants to change something they kind of have to make it and that's not a cheap proposition for a smaller company to try and do R&D and manufacturing on one-off parts for a racer Um, you know you got to be Honda or you know, KTM to have that kind of ability, even, you know, Kawasaki can do it, but that's still kind of high up, high up there for them. So for, for the likes of, of, uh, TM or, um, you know, these smaller teams to try and do that is, is tough, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't have come into the market if they didn't think they could do it.
1: I am looking on Sherco's website and they, they won their first world enduro championship in 2016. <clears throat> that's pretty good. I mean, they've won a world championship. That's a, that's a, that's a, these guys are working hard and they've getting results.
0: Yep. And, and I'm, again, the health of the sport, seeing yes. uh, fledgling companies come up and actually be competitive Yep. Is exactly what you want to see because that's going to help push, you know, the factory teams to try even harder. Because how embarrassing is it for KTM in Enduro to come out there and be the powerhouse that they are, and then lose a championship? Because KTM doesn't like losing any championships in yeah, any discipline sure. yeah. to a young upstart like this.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's awesome though. Um, it, it speeds technology growth too.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's just good for those of us who, you know, buy the bikes.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yep. A Motorcycle you buy today, the technology between that and a 74 Elsinore is just not even close or an 81 YZ 125 or even a 2000 YZ 250, you know, granted that bike hasn't changed a lot, but, uh,
0: well I, I'll tell you what a 2005 uh 450R to a um you know 2020 250R of any brand is going to be light years I mean especially think about the KTMs yeah. KTM in 2005 was still recovering from um you know when uh McGrath tried to ride them and yeah. was really? it was it Langston or Pingree that had the bike snap under them <clears throat> You know, the whole head, whole head tube came apart on the <laughs> landing of something.
1: I don't remember who that was. I know Langston broke his wheel, but
0: you no, know, someone know. broke the like the frame, like the steering stem. Yeah. But uh, catastrophic failure. So I mean, by '05 they were still, you know, kind of trying to bounce back from that. Mm-hmm. And here in 2020, arguably that's the place you want to go to that's kind of still the pinnacle of the sport although i i think kawasaki and hrc have probably leveled out with them
1: yeah i think it's all Um, pretty equal.
0: yeah there's there's a lot and you know factory yamaha as much as we make jokes is getting getting better oh yeah uh year Mm -hmm. in and year out, you know, especially with the star program going so well, Mm -hmm. but yeah. Um, good to see things just getting better, but you know, if, if someone like me can notice the difference from bike to bike, you know, from a 2010 to a 2020, if I can tell the difference (laughs) that it's better then the, the pros must, you know, must be completely night and day.
1: Yeah, yeah, they would really notice it.
0: So how long until we get an electric bike, like actually get one?
1: I don't know if the pressure is on those right now like there was when Alta was out there. You know that the big five are developing them, but I just don't know. I think they will surprise us. I think they're working on them in the background um, and perfecting them. Because out,
0: outdoors was trying to make a spot for them uh, before Alta folded. Yep. yep. Um, they were. But are are we going to see it from the big ones, or are we going to have to see another? Are we going to have to see someone else try and pull a Tesla and you know pull them out of uh, the the Dark Ages? Uh, I would say that that's not necessary, only because you had brands like Honda pushing for the development of four strokes before it was necessary.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but so, I still, I do think, though, <clears throat> that business-wise, they, the all the major manufacturers would rather, they're not done running out the gas engines. And I think that they're not, this is just my opinion, that they're not going to bring that out and create more competition for what they're already selling. Unless... There, it becomes a requirement. Alta was making inroads to the point that they must have been worried about it because they all started developing these bikes. But now, yeah, because
0: we saw the four hundred and fifty CRF four hundred and fifty E, and you know we saw hints from Yamaha at the very least, and we know KTM has electric trail bikes already. um, Already, so you know. I I, would agree that I think that there's kind of been, the breaks have been put on those yes. uh, unfortunately but being here in the city and having my son out on his uh, stay sick uh, with quarantine nearly every day mm-hmm. um, you know, he's getting a lot more seat time and I'm just watching this going, man I wish I could do this, you know it it's so quiet, like it's, he's not bugging anyone, we've got you know, dozens of neighbors, hundreds of neighbors, and no one said yeah, anything. He's been doing it every day for two weeks.
1: Yeah. You could probably get one of those just a KTMs and Huskies that are out and it wouldn't make any difference. No one's going to say anything because they can't hear him. If he's building big berms, yeah, they might say something.
0: <laughs> but just, you know, the ability to bring that, the sport back into the city is, um, you know, yeah. and just make it that much more accessible. Yeah. You know, people say, Oh, what if I want to ride a whole bunch? How many people really ride that much? A lot of people would be perfectly happy with whatever you get from a charge. Yeah. That's going to, you know, yeah. most people that's going to take care of, of what they want. Um, and, you know, the charging stuff is just getting faster and faster.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, you know, going from lithium ion to lithium polymer, um, and, uh, there's even more coming down the pipes. You know, they're getting to the point that you can charge your, you know, your automotive, your your whole car, your Tesla will go 300 miles on an 80% charge that it'll get from a supercharger in 45 minutes. Yeah. And that's dropping all the time.
1: Yeah. Technology will get there.
0: How hard is it going to be to get 40 miles out of a 200 pound motorcycle, you know, in... 10 minutes yeah so that's that's got to be around the corner and i i do look forward to it but i'd be perfectly happy if it was one of the major brands at this point
1: yeah because then you'd know there'd be stability behind it but you know i think that it is it is entirely possible that someone else is going to have to sneak in there and basically build on what alta did and then the big factories would they'd step up if they if they especially if the the next person to step up and do it was able to make it financially sound.
0: So my, my last question on that is with Harley Davidson, um, basically scutt- scuttling Alta, um, in my opinion, and then buying up uh, a and actually putting some effort behind it, though, not as much as I'd like to see, they are now doing something with it. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you think Harley is going to try to position themselves to, because they're losing, you know, they're losing market. Their business is not looking good on road bikes. Is this their opportunity to diversify into the electric dirt bike market? And, you know, they've got enough machinery behind them that they could shunt themselves into the position of being the first mass production electric motocross bike and hedging their their business model with you know entering motocross and supercross as hey follow us we're the future of of this because no one's going to go oh well that should be a v-twin because it's a completely different machine there would be no oh you're putting an electric motor in my v-twin harley it's just oh this is a brand that's never done well has only did this for a short period, uh, way back. Yeah. Um, 70s. Um, yeah, I don't think there'd be much pushback.
1: That the thing is, they've, you know, you, you, there's some plausibility to what you're saying there. I mean, Harley, heck, back in the, I want to say, 30s or 40s, uh, for a while, they had a Hummer, which was a street bike that was a two stroke, single cylinder, two stroke, air cooled. Um, And then, of course, they had the the Baja 100. You know, it was a 100cc two-stroke. I don't know who was building the engines or even the motorcycles. might have been made in Mexico. I'm not sure, but they have dabbled in that stuff. Uh, And, of course, their motocross effort in the uh, mid-'70s. But I don't know. That, That would be a it'd be a big gamble for a company that I'm not sure how healthy it is right now.
0: But this might be an opportunity cuz you know, how is it going to get better <clears throat> if they don't make some moves? You got to spend money to make money.
1: Yeah, 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 that's and that's where the plausibility to what you're saying, there is definitely plausibility to it. They they would be a good candidate to do it, you know, using the, So did they buy Alta
0: uh no they they had initially committed uh a certain amount of money to Alta okay. over a certain period of time uh but then they they pulled out of the the deal and I think what I think happened is Alta when they got news of that is when they it was a few months after that that they released the Alta R you know the the final version of it that was
1: mm-hmm. yeah, uh, kind yeah. of a that was super motorcycle
0: that was that was finally the right bike uh and they had more orders than they could fill and they were working overtime trying to fill orders and harley davidson pulled the money and it was it was weeks later that they announced the closure Mm -hmm. so i think that they overextended themselves uh expecting you know, this financial backing and when it went away and they couldn't find anyone yeah. that that's what took them out. I think that they took, they took a gamble with Harley Davidson and it, and simply didn't pay off.
1: And there was just nowhere to go. Well, that that's plausible. Like I say, it's just a, you know, is the company healthy enough for that? Can, if they could get <clears throat> there, they would have to find some investors too because I don't think they're going to have the cash on hand to start that back up. Interesting, because that's the technology is there. Um, And you were seeing more and more of them at the track, you know, around here and in California. There was more and more of them. They They were definitely infiltrating, and I didn't hear bad things about them at all.
0: And they did a great job marketing because they actually would bring bikes to tracks for people to try. And you know, cause you got to ride one.
1: Ride one. And, and I was like, I was sold right then and there. And, that and that's,
0: helpful. that's the thing is the product was good. And people who had hemmed and hawed because, you know, let's be honest, you had kind of hemmed and hawed about it. Yeah. Uh, and you said, well, I need to ride it. I don't know about that. And then when you did ride it, it, kind of changed your heart on the whole
1: it just shocked me how cool it was
0: and that's they were they were getting there i think they just needed a little more time you know you know if i had a few million dollars more in the bank i i would have definitely gone and talked to them but i think that could have been a successful company and i I think it's a shame that we lost that opportunity
1: three to six months more and they would have been they would have been entrenched they would have been okay
0: yeah because they like they said they were they were selling bikes they were you know they were making money but they were spending it faster than they were making it which yeah. is true for tesla for the better part of a decade but now they were momentarily valued higher than boeing
1: wow when i uh, just
0: last week so
1: when i was driving north <clears throat> up i5 last year or last week this other day that was friday last friday i'm dry- and i remember this last year when i was driving north up there bringing all my stuff back up every 3 to 5 minutes there is a car hauler full of teslas headed south on i5 every 3 to 5 minutes between la and where they peel off there's south of tracy
0: best selling mid-sized luxury car
1: That adds up, you know, I don't know if that goes on day and night, but it was going on all day this year and last year. So, you know, almost every five minutes, you've got, what, eight or ten of those cars leaving the factory. That's just going south because I saw them going north once I got north of Sacramento, but they're going the same direction as me, so obviously didn't see as many of them. But. And they're in
0: the process of building two or three more plants right now, and they just announced another one. Right. They're they're going like gangbusters, and you know I think I think they should have bought Alta. Um,
1: yeah, that's, that's just been a good fit
0: because they they have the power behind them, and I think Alta had the design, and especially you let them get with some of the engineers at Tesla and start using that battery technology. I think. I think the big five would have been did, worried.
1: Didn't some of the, uh, a lot of the engineers for Alta, didn't they come from like at least three of them anyway from Tesla?
0: They did, and but I think if they had the full the full weight and power of the gigafactories behind them,
1: yeah. they
0: could have really, um, really cracked into the market and, and uh, become you know the same way that KTM has become a major powerhouse you know in sales and in championships i think they could have and they i don't think they would have had trouble finding riders that's the nice thing about our sport is everyone's so young yeah i don't think they would have had trouble finding good riders who were willing to try the bike
1: you know it would have to be somebody's pet project though you know when you when you consider you know what was what did what did uh, alta sell in one year like 1200 motorcycles you know, when you compare that to the size of the car business at Tesla, it would have to be somebody's pet project that they're having. But
0: they they could also their production capacity wasn't there because, you know, you can it's 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 scalability. Yeah. So they had to you know, they only sold twelve hundred because they could only make twelve hundred. When they when they closed, they had I forget if it was dozens or hundreds of orders waiting for production. Like they were up to the day they closed
1: orders like many hundreds.
0: Yes. They had tons of orders. Yeah. So, I mean, that's healthy for me. It's just the, the cash burn of electric vehicles right now is so high because the technology is improving so quickly. They have to stay on that leading edge.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's a a neat direction to go. I mean, we, we, Definitely need to keep the two-strokes for the fun factor. You keep the four-strokes right now. Excuse me for the efficiency factor of you know you can just they're like cheating when you ride them. But I kind of you know after having ridden the Alta, there's a whole new level of cheating out of the efficiency there. I mean you're not shifting. You can you know monitor your your throttle control on it is like super fine. Um, definitely you know i'm i'd be anxious to ride some new ones that's for sure
0: and you think maybe if you had the you know the expertise and abilities of factory honda and factory ktm you know smoothing out any rough edges on that bike i mean imagine what what they could do if they had just bought one of those and put their own r&d into it
1: yeah yeah well you know that the all the big factories they own several altas still <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> they had to dig in there and see what was going on because the, the picture of the Honda didn't look a ton different. It looked Honda-ish, but the basic, you know, where the motor was, where the battery sat, all that kind of stuff was it was just looked the same to me.
0: Yep, and hey, that gives us ability to bring the two-wheel drive motorcycle back You just put an electric motor in the hub.
1: <laughs> yeah, yep.
0: Run, run the wire right along with the uh, front disc brake.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: Yeah, could have a r- real two-wheel drive motorcycle again without all the weird craziness of the uh, of the chains going everywhere.
1: That'd be the cheater for Ellsberg, Ersberg.
0: Oh yeah, the Erzberg Rodeo and Sea to Sky and all that. Yeah, but that I mean that would be a whole new sport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the potential in this sport is, you know, Supercross has been growing every year uh by a good rate and i think it's going to continue and you know doing things like combining championships getting more star riders together more often and um you know and these emerging technologies i think this is how we continue to grow the sport uh to the point that we can get sponsors like microsoft to stay you know at one point rch had uh Mm -hmm you know, a, a Dodge Microsoft, you know, uh, RMZ 450. Like they had real outside sponsors and then Jimmy John's stuck around a long time. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the key to continued success is, um, getting outside sponsors and and giving them a reason to follow you. I mean, if you were the one electric bike manufacturer, you know, changing the sport, that's going to get a lot of publicity. And whether you're winning or not, as long as you're getting publicity and clicks,
1: yep. that's how you bring in money. Yep, just like NASCAR. <clears throat> they don't really care that much if they win. As long as if their car is getting wadded up in turn three, <laughs> as long as you can see that Home Depot logo, logo they're happy.
0: <laughs> yep, exactly. Oh, man, it was flipped through the air. There's a really good shot right there they put on the front page.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's, it's about getting your name out there, however it happens to be.
0: Yep. Okay. Well, I think I think that's a night. Um,
1: that sounds good.
0: We'll keep uh, We'll keep following the the series and and hopefully we'll get back to racing pretty soon. Uh, but until then, uh, we'll uh, we'll keep meeting up and talking dirt bikes because that's what we'd be doing anyway.
1: That's what we do anyway. We talk dirt bikes. We just record it. Maybe someone else wants to listen.
0: Exactly yeah this is, this is what we'd be doing anyway um so hopefully we'll have uh, uh David return with us again uh next week scheduling problems uh, but we should be on for for next week so that'll be again uh, quite different um yep. so yeah uh thank you for listening to loose spokes it's part of the tiny dog podcast network uh you can contact us at tiny dog podcast network at outlook.com ratings and reviews, uh, on whatever you listen to us on is always hugely helpful and appreciated. Uh, if you'd like, you could also reach us on our Instagram page, which is just loose spokes podcast. Um, I try and post at least once a week on there and doing some stories and stuff. Uh, be sure to check out the other shows also on the network. Uh, there's an automotive podcast called Garage Night that's out every Thursday. And uh, we have video game content on Just Another Side Quest that's every other Thursday. Um, you can find out about all this and more at tinydogpodcast.com. Uh, so uh, without further delay, we'll go ahead and uh, wish you all a very good night.
1: Talk to you next week. Thank you for listening
0: to the loose spokes podcast a special thanks for jahazer for the use of their song the last ones under the attribution share alike license